So we'll begin with a short sit. And coming home again and again to your body. And feeling how is it now? Grounding into the earth, feeling the stillness and the steadiness of the body. Perhaps there might be a shift in energy, be a little more brightness or tingle or activation in the system after the morning. But knowing you can always come home right back here. It's very simple, this body. Perhaps feeling the movement of the breath in the body. And even maybe with all the plans for travel and the energy that's up today, the last morning, feeling this quietness, this stillness that you've cultivated and knowing is here. Just right here, very simple, waiting for your attention. And so just in these short 10 minutes of practice, letting the body and the heart do the practice, let the practice do you. Relying on your wisdom, your goodness that's been cultivated this week and letting yourself be held and carried by the practice.
And so we will now perform a miracle. We're going to see some amazing teamwork because each of us, in 15 minutes, <laughs> you're going to hear each of us giving you all the instructions you need for going home. And it's going to be a feat because each of us knows we only have 15 minutes as a team. So we'll start with Eugene and then go down the line uh, with some advice about going home. Uh, So I get about three minutes, right? Okay. Let me time myself. No. Um, Most important thing about going home is to relax. And I mean that uh, fully. Here's my main home practice. In addition to sitting every day and being part of a sangha, which is all really helpful about home practice, is I practice 24-7. And life is practice, period. And when you get that, it gets really easy because wherever you are, whatever is happening, it's all part of practice. And it's different than sitting on a retreat practice, but it's still all practice. Awareness, kindness, wherever you are. And, and if it's not there, why not? So investigation practice is an important part of my practice. We didn't talk much about that, but it's one of the seven factors of awakening. So. As I go through my day, my life, uh, things happen, good, bad, everything, you know, the whole, the whole schmear, as they say in Pali. And, uh, <laughs> and, um, and, and so what happened, what I do is uh, I'm curious and, I, and I'm interested in, um, am I here? Am I not here? Am I relaxed? And if I'm not relaxed, why not? And I, and I really mean that. I don't mean relaxed means everything's fine. Can I be relaxed with being angry? Can I be relaxed with being confused? Can I be relaxed with people telling me they're going to do all this stuff for my car and never showing up day after day after day? <laughs> really, this just it was hard what happened. I don't know if they told you what happened on retreat for me, but it was hard during the retreat. And, and so all I'm looking at is, oh, am I relaxed or not? And I wasn't. But I could relax around being not relaxed. And that is really key for me in, in daily life, what we call daily life practice, which I don't even think about it like that anymore. It's just all life is practice, period. And that, for me, everything changed when I got that because I was a little bit of a retreat junkie for a while, which some of these people might know about. <laughs> and, and at some point, it was like, okay, retreat's great, but what about now? And why can't I practice right here, you know, at home or at work, at, you know, in, in the world or in my, with my car or with my wife or my daughter or, my, or whatever? Or even when the warriors lose, it's like, (laughs) can I be present and aware? Is that a a good time? Okay. 
and and have fun. The Dharma's fun. It's so good. It'll always be good. Good in the middle, good in the, good in the beginning, good in the middle, good in the end. So good. There's so much to share about practicing, bringing the practice home. I've really benefited from actually just reading suttas and study. So if your heart feels called to that, feel free to start to look at what the different centers are offering in terms of multi-year programs or multi-month programs that um, offer these three essentials that the Buddha talked about of deepening our understanding of Dharma. So there's what we've been doing, Bhavana Mayapanya, this meditative development. Then there's reflection, Chintamayapanya, which we've been doing in the practice meetings. And then there's Suttamayapanya, so the study. And if your heart feels called to that, like just pick up a sutta, start to... Um, develop a relationship with these teachings as it can feel so antiquated when you pick them up but when you realize they're spiritual seekers just like us they're just wanting to know like how do you how do you live this life how do you go through this life with some sense of ease and well-being and how do you um as Eugene was saying, learn to relax with what's actually here. And what's been helpful for me is coming to the suttas like their place. Like really feeling into like, oh, this setting, these characters, and seeing the transformation of everyone involved or lack of transformation. The Buddha would offer something and sometimes it wouldn't land at all. You'd have to have some equanimity with that. What's wonderful is the Buddha was so thorough. And there are times when my heart is aching, or there's some challenge or some difficulty, and I'll go to the index of the sutta, and I'll be like, how do I deal with resentment? And you go and read the suttas, and it's like, okay, I'm going to try this, see if it works. And every time, I'm never, ever, like, let down. It actually works. I have to, like, get creative and play with, like, well, what did he mean by this? What do you mean, like, uh, still taking the person in their totality, but really looking at their beautiful qualities, not being naive about the totality of who they are? How do I do that? And that's when you actually start to take this practice into your life. It becomes really creative and playful. So if you feel called to like um, enter into the Dhamma through study, it's so rewarding. Do it, do it, do it. Okay, so did you all get your phones back? How was it? Not yet? Okay, that's good. I'll give you some instructions then for getting your phone. And those of you who already have your phone, mindfulness with technology is a huge part of daily life practice. 
you know, and you come here and you hear our shtick and we've got a whole thing about giving up and renouncing and relinquishing. But now you've got, you've got to go home and live with these devices. You have a relationship with them. And I would encourage you to bring that into your practice, right? Don't have this thought that, oh, practice is outside of technology. And when I'm on technology, I can't be mindful. That's just doubt. So use it as your meditation object. And especially now you're so sensitive, you haven't gotten your phone yet, make it a practice to get your phone and then, and then do a whole meditation with it if you have time. Sometimes we do this together, guided in the hall. One time I was doing this, it was at IMS and we were snow, it was snowing, it was in the deep winter, and we all had our cell phones in the hall. And we did this whole thing, which I'll describe, where we like really felt the weight of it in your hand first. You know, feel the earth element of it. Feel the shape of it. It's designed to be pleasant Vedana <laughs> in your hand. The smoothness, the size. And then same thing when you turn it on. Colors, right? What's your eye drawn to? You're starting to get behind the workings of those who design the phone, right? To draw us in. But you can be mindful of all of that at work. The pleasant colors of the apps the red dots that are like immediately magnet, right? To go check your text and your email, all of this. So know it, it can be part of your mindfulness. So we were turning on our phones all together and then we asked for feedback and one, one yogi raised their hand and they said, I went to look at the weather, <laughs> even though I can see that it's snowing right outside the window. <laughs> I was like, I wonder what the weather is. <laughs> So we get to know, like Don's saying, it's fun, right? It's fun. We get to know how we are with these devices. It's funky and quirky and we're, you know, easily manipulated. But mindfulness will give you the agency to know how you want to be with your phone. You know, turning off all the notifications. Some of our Dharma friends have found an app that makes it black and white. So the colors aren't so drawing in. Or slowing down, my partner, every time he sends an email, he takes a breath, and on the exhale, he sends metta. I'm not so disciplined, but it's such a beautiful practice. If you want to try it, slowing down, slowing down, and really thinking about the person you're sending to, and can you just, easy phrase, right? May you be well today. And then this is the advice we always give, and I have to just say, I don't always follow it. Not a great yogi, but this is what you should do. Don't open your inbox all at once, right? Fall, like watch that urge. Maybe some of you already have. But if you haven't, watch the urge to do it all and kind of get it all done and pound it out a week's worth of email. But if you can, have the patience to really take it slow. Pace yourself, right? Maybe just read a couple and then pause. Or go do something else before you read the rest. I can tell you, because I always binge my inbox every time I hear this, I say it to you, and then I go, go read everything, and I come out feeling nauseous and dizzy and like disconnected. So do what we say and not what we do. And take your time, you know, really practice metta and care with your devices. Know that you have choice. You don't have to be beholden to them. And you can keep it in your practice. You can stay in your belly and in your body as you're interacting with these. So see what you find. Thank you.
I think for me, uh, finding some artistic expression about how you feel here. So there's a body memory that's happened. And uh, that body memory, it gets really, really stirred up by artistic expression. So I was never really a poetry person when I was in school. But after the Dhamma, I just became this poetry person. So I brought these two books that I, I, I have a lot of poetry books at home. But the one I use a lot is Poetry of Presence. Somebody gave it to me a few years ago. And um, um, the thing about poetry I have found is that even though you know the poem, it's not always the same every time you read it. So you get in the habit of reading poetry as a way to help bring you back to the place where you're at. So maybe before you start your sit, you read a poem and let the mind contemplate on that. If it's going to be thinking anyway, think on poetry (laughs) rather than... But a new uh, reflection that I was given that I really think is great is the moon appears when the water is still. It's a... Dhamma Reflections from someone named uh, Ian McCrory. And they're some of the, they're simple but profound wisdom, little Dhamma Reflections. But you take these, there are books that you can get. It's sort of like what Don was pointing to with studying. There are Dhamma books out there like Joseph's Mindfulness. Uh, That's a great book. It's very uh, simple for all the various things that we talk about in mindfulness and in Dhamma. And it's really to spark your interest to look further and look further. There's some search engines out there, um, dhammaseed.org and uh, Access to Insight. And I used to just sort of put a word in, like resentment, if I'm feeling resentment. So I put it, that word in, resentment. And there are all these talks on resentment, and there's all this uh, suttas on resentment that can come up. And then you just start reading, start listening, reading, listening, reading, listening. And eventually, it's like over the course of the week, a lot of this dhamma just begins to permeate in the way you think all the time. So it's really that immersion, exposure, and the use of art, pictures, poetry, music, as a way to help you uh, reconnect to the way the body feels. That'd be my advice. So they gave me about a minute and 10. So let me take it quick. Um, hopefully, you've learned to have a better relationship with your bodies after this week. And I want you to remember that exercise that we did at the beginning of every class. <laughs> Go wild. And don't be afraid to show up as your authentic self. Okay? And something that comes to mind is my version of rain for the body. Recognize your body and look at it and learn to have compassion. Accept your body 
because you're only given one in this lifetime, for the most part. Investigate your body. Challenge yourself. Challenge. If you don't think you can run a mile, run a mile. See what, you, see what happens. If you think that you can't do a push-up, do a push-up. And see what happens. And then last but not least, nurture your body. Really have love and compassion about it. You are all beautiful in your own immaculate way. I'll leave you with that. That was pretty good. We're right on time. Well done. That was, that was off the top. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good team. Good team. Yeah, so we're going to do just a little bit of questions and answers again. Questions and responses. Um, maybe we could take a volunteer for a mic runner. Is anyone willing to run the mic? Yeah, okay, great. Perfect. Yeah, Don will help and... Um, again, those maybe who haven't asked questions yet, or if you have a really burning something you want to ask, you just got a little bit of time. It can be for any of us. Thank you. Um, this is about this really tender... Uh, open-heartedness. Ah. Can you hear me now? Um, this is about this really tender open-heartedness um, I feel at the retreat. Um, I would like to keep my heart open for the rest of my life, not just at retreats. Um, but I, I feel as we live our busy lives, um, and navigate through lots of difficulties and challenges, it's so easy to close it. Um, just wondering if you have any advice on that, mm, besides coming to retreats more often. <laughs> oh, the heart. has its own heart-mind, has its own um, rhythms and laws. And it's so shaped by the conditions we find ourselves in. And the heart is open right now. The Buddha was really clear. Be aware of the, the wholesome, the openness when it's present. Really bring as much mindfulness as possible. Get to know what that feels like in your heart, your mind, your body. And just know that this open-heartedness is the result of the different conditions coming together, being here on this retreat. And the, um, this retreat, the conditions that supported it in coming together are disbanding. When you move into um, your life, your relationships, it, the heart will close. And that's okay. Can you be with the closed heart with as much kindness and tenderness and presence as possible and learn about that experience? Just be with this heart that's very amoeba-like. Opening, closing, 
neutral, opening with so much gratitude and awe or metta, closing around resentment, jealousy. We're really learning to be with the full range, the full gamut of the human experience. That's the, that's the learning. It's so easy to want to keep this. But you don't have to. Yeah, you can just open-handed experience it as it is. Allow the heart to do its dance, opening and closing, being there for that. Thank you. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year. Dear Sangha, happy, happy, happy new year to you. Please fall in love. Stay there. Uh, So I have two questions, if that's okay. Uh, A few nights ago, you sort of instructed us in an exercise uh, about practicing kindness to inanimate objects. And that's something that I've like been doing over the course of the retreat and have found it to be a good like mindfulness exercise. Is that something you recommend for just kind of like doing perpetually or is it in the context of this retreat, it's like easy to be nice to my jacket? But <laughs> but I'm wondering if, you know, as, as my life uh, gets a little more hectic, if that'll become like an unreasonable thing to keep trying. <laughs> I, I think the reason why I offer that is because I had a hard time believing I had access to that kindness. And so sometimes when we're using people, it, it just gets too sticky for me to even think that I can be kind. And so the, the use of your jacket and the use of inanimate objects helps, it, it, for me, it helped me realize that I really did have kindness in me automatically. 
after a while, you won't need the inanimate objects because you'll be able to access it with people and animals and things that are real and sentient beings. So the inanimate objects is just to help you begin to see that there's kindness all over the place and you have access to it. Thank you. Mm -hmm. uh, and then my second question is a bit of a follow-up to yesterday, but um, so I think it was on New Year's that you suggested when we take our walks and kind of come up with what our um, intentions are going to be going into the new year, that as you're doing your mindfulness walk, just stay in your body. Don't try and think it. Pose the question and allow your body to deliver the answer to you. Uh, and it did. And then uh, I think it was maybe a couple nights after that, I couldn't sleep. I was in here at like 2.45 a.m. I was processing something. Um, and, you know, normally when I meditate, I set a timer, but I didn't have that option here. So I just sat down and I was like, when are you going to know when you're done, when you're ready to go sleep? And I, I just sat here and meditated for a bit. And uh, <laughs> I felt a little... Um, it was almost as though like a vein in my leg like burped. Uh, and that was the first time, the only time that's happened this retreat. And in that moment, I was like, just why not just interpret that as your body telling you it's time to go to sleep? And I did and I fell asleep. Uh, and so I'm wondering if uh, I basically how I can investigate the idea that my body has cognition moving forward. To anyone who cares to answer. Uh, the body is so intelligent and we so do not pay attention to it, to the intelligence of the body. And so really uh, the way, I, there's a few ways I think about it. One is, is a really great article called The Brain in the Belly. The Brain in the Belly. And I forget, it was an interview with someone who did research about the intelligence and the neuro neurology in the belly. And if you can find that article, it was in the Sun magazine, S-U-N, the Sun, Brain in the Belly. And I often give it to my colleagues. It's something because we all think the brain is up here and you know, that's okay up here, but there's way more brain intelligence in the whole body. And so um, one way you can play with it is ask your body, what does it think? Right? If you're going into, you know, there's two restaurants and you want to decide, which restaurant does your body want to go into rather than your mind? And so you can start to play with it's, you know, you could say it's thinking about what does the body want, but it's really the intuition or the in, innate knowing of the body, which might be different than what I think, because believe me, Eugene does not think so good sometimes, but my body knows, oh yeah, get out of here, or go here, or do this, or stop, or go to sleep. So it's a few thoughts, yeah. Sure. Oh, um, I had a question about timing. Uh, this morning when I was meditating, I 
had a memory that when I was 16, I found the book somewhere, um, wherever you go, there you are. And I remember opening it and reading the first few pages several times and being like, this is the truth, but then I'm not ready for it and just closing the book. And I only came back to all of this like many, many years later. And I think my question is about the timing of continuing to practice. I find that it ebbs and flows, my interest in it, my deepening. And you were talking yesterday about going deeper and deeper. And I'm just wondering how you think about the timing of deepening. And I think I'm someone who tends to like push forward and not just let things come to me when I'm ready. So I was just wondering if you have any questions about readiness and deepening. Yeah, I can speak to that a bit. I think it's such a balance between surrendering to the unfolding of karma, right? Or the karma is basically just causes and conditions. So you're sort of seeing, you know, as we look back over our Dharma trajectory, you can see that it was a coming together of causes and conditions. It always is. This retreat was that. And now the causes and conditions are changing. So there's a kind of trusting that the Dharma is living in you and that it has its own timing, a little bit like listening to your belly, right? Moving through the world from that place of trust and knowing the Dharma is unfolding organically on its own time. So not trying to push it, right? Kamala says, Kamala Master says, we can't force the lotus blossom open. You have to trust that that flower will open on its own. And it takes a lot of fire and discipline and diligence to keep coming back again and again, you know? Jack Cornfield says, you just put your tush on the cush. <laughs> and in daily life especially, we have to have that fire, the virya, the effort to keep coming again and again through your faith and trust that the Dharma is on its own timing. So it's both. And then I'll just say something, one last thing in answer to several questions, the sensitivity question, the heart opening question, this timing and trust. This has been a new development for me just in the last year around taking refuge. You know, this, this practice we do at the very beginning of taking refuge is kind of foreign. Sometimes we forget. But everything is there in terms of surrendering to something that's worthy and safe, trustworthy, protecting us, and bigger than us. Right? So taking refuge in the ancestors really relying on your family ancestry, all of that human life and energy that it took to get you here and foster you and nurture you. So much humanity behind you. And same thing with Dharma ancestors, as Tuari was saying, all of the people, the generations who have practiced this path, you can rely on them. You can take refuge in them. So really seeing we're part of a much bigger whole that's about opening the heart and staying sensitive and trust. And you can take refuge in those unseen beings. You know, the Dharma protectors, if that's your bag, the devas, you can take refuge and really, like, turn your life over to them, right? Give your life back to the Dharma. Yeah, thanks. I think we're at about time. Okay, but we're about to tell you how you can stay in touch with us. So if you have lasting questions, this, this conversation can keep going. Okay, so should we do our goodbyes? Mies? Okay, I guess I'll start. Um, yeah, so this is just really a time to express our gratitude and appreciation for your practice. Um, so much beauty in this room. 
And can you see it? Do you feel your face that's kind of glowing a little bit right now? And often we joke about that being the Vipassana facelift. You know, you come out. <laughs> but it's real. You know, there's a name for that because it actually, in Pali, it's called punya. It's called merit or goodness. This practice brings it out. And so when you go home and people are like, you look different, you can just smile and say, thank you. So yes, thank you for sharing your goodness with all of us. We've been in the field together, and um, it's just such an honor to get to accompany you uh, through this practice. So thank you. And I think I can say for all of us that we, that's our, this is our wheelhouse. We are about accompanying you in the Dharma on your path. And so there's ways to get in touch with us outside. You probably have seen, we have email addresses out and... Um, we're a lot of us easy to find, you know, we have our different centers and um, on my website, I've got all 2023 up there. If you're interested in continuing, um, I teach a lot of these different centers and also online with my partner, Nico. And if it was confusing, his name used to be Craig. <laughs> That's why you got a vintage copy of the book. Um, but I did wear my hot pink pants today for the book. I'm really happy to get to to bring it here and to offer this book because it was it was born in the middle of COVID. So we've been doing all this work on the book in COVID time, and now I'm really happy um, to share it with all of you. And uh, just to say, it's very helpful if you're up for it to write a review for us online. Really helpful book reviews on Amazon, other things. Deep gratitude for that support. Um, a lot of us do one-on-one sessions, so you can reach out about that and stay in touch in that way. So we really are just here to support your ongoing path, not just here, but ongoingly. So please do stay in touch with us. The very last teaching I'll give is in Tibetan. This word is called tendril. It's a deep a karmic over-lifetimes connection. And that happens when we practice together. So you can kind of trust that we all now are bound by this tendril, the sweetness, the brother-sister siblinghood of being on the path together. So thank you. Thank you so much. Do you remember last, not last Thursday, but when we first all gathered in here? How different it feels now. (laughs) You can feel that we've been on a journey together. It's just been a real privilege to witness your transformation, to be a part of supporting you and I just feel blessed by your questions and your practice, your sincerity. I'm actually going to go into retreat for just a couple of weeks, and I feel like you'll be with me, inspiring me, supporting me. So thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for your practice. So, um, my email, 
and my a way to find me uh, through the list. I'm sure some of you put your names down, so I will be sending you an email. Um, but I'm going to be teaching quite a bit this year. Um, be available for one-on-ones. I do not teach movement online. But if you're ever in L.A., I have a residency at a place called the Line Hotel every Sunday, 11 a.m. to 12 p.m. Um, <clears throat> and it's just been a pleasure. It's been a, you know, as I said to you from the very first day, you are some serious mofos. Or you were, but I broke you down. And look where we are right now. So... Um, this humbled and honored to be your teacher this week. It's just been amazing, amazing. So I urge you to keep in contact with me. Let me know how you all are getting on and vice versa. And um, I would be remiss if I didn't. One of the things that I do is I give my teams nicknames. And the fall retreat... Um, we were known as the Avengers. <laughs> and I was known as Black Panther, for obvious <laughs> reasons. Um, so we have a couple of nicknames. We are also the Bhutan Clan. Not <laughs> the Rizza at the end, the Jizza over here, and we have Ghostface and Raekwon over here. <laughs> and of course, I'm Method Man. But then in the, in, in the Marvel Universe... Um, we have uh, Eugene, who is Tony Starks, <laughs> a.k.a. Iron Man. Uh, and, you know, many of you know Eugene had a serious accident and uh, came out of it in a titanium suit. <laughs> Funny, cranky, grumpy, <laughs> but a real powerful, powerful leader. Um, then we have the two versions of Captain Marvel. We have the white version and the black version. Okay. You gotta remember this is Marvel Universe, so we have different, different. And then right next to me, I have Storm. If you know Storm from the X-Men, she was the one who controlled the weather. She didn't do a good job this retreat, but um, great, powerful, powerful super superhero. And for me, I would say that um, I was going to call myself the Black Thor, but there is no Black Thor, so I am Heimdall. And if anyone knows who Heimdall is, Heimdall was the harbinger who transported folks from one universe to another. And... <laughs> And I, I feel that I transported you from 22 to 23. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. <laughs> we have been waiting so long for our superhero names. He's been, practicing, he's been promising this the whole retreat. God, yes. I do now. <laughs> I thought we were all by. Okay. <laughs>
<laughs> okay, so uh, yes, I'm very happy to have been here. It's very, I I love that uh, retreats just come together, and there's all this, uh, you know, disconnected disjointedness, and we build it together, and then we bring it apart. I just love that coming together creating something and then the impermanence of it and that it goes away so that we don't so that we learn in retreat the way life really is and and we are always like um we are always together like devin said it's not like we can come together and we're not part of each other some of my best friends i only know them because i've seen them on long retreats over and over and over and over and over but that's how we know each other, and we feel just as connected as if we grew up together. So uh, I thank you for your practice. Uh, there's, a, there's a gift for teachers when practitioners practice. So that teaching, practicing reciprocity is such a gift. And so I, um, I thank you for all your earnest practice and the way that we and bringing your full self into the groups and everything. Thank you so much. And I hope I see you at another retreat soon. So on my sheet, it said, it says, this is goodbyes. So, goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) And... Thank you, and uh, I, I, you know I could echo everything people have been saying except what how Kim said because I didn't even know what he's talking about, <laughs> but but I'm learning slowly, <laughs> and and you know hopefully he'll send me a picture of whoever I am, <laughs> but um, uh, but when I really think about. Uh, the appreciation for your practice. It's the appreciation for your heart's presence here and giving yourself to what's good, to the Dharma. And it's it's here in every seat. And so it's really, you know, we, I, we feel it. I feel it. I feel you. And, and the goodness and the difficulty and the up and down and the and the potential that you all know about and that brings you here. And so thank you for being real and being humans and and doing this strange practice of doing nothing basically and discovering what's true. And also I have to throw in my thanks for the team because they're the best, really. They're so good, all of them, you know. And really, and and everybody's really themselves here, also. And that's why I love this team because we can be real and uh, be together, and also love the Dharma and have fun. And so, thank you all, every everyone, because. Because the other thing is, when we're here, even though we're teaching, we're all practicing together. We're all practicing. Teaching is a practice. It's 
you know, and it's good that we have the privilege to offer the Dharma. Um, and the biggest privilege is just sitting up here and we get to see you and, and see the beauty of humanity right here. The goodness that isn't in the front page of the newspaper, even if you never read newspapers, in the front page, whatever's online, which is a lot of the suffering of humanity. But the goodness is right here, and so thank you. Um, just before we do the next part, I, I forgot to mention that Devin and I and one of our friends, Rachel Lewis, are doing a 30-day challenge. It's with the IMS. It started yesterday. Uh, Joseph Goldstein gave a really beautiful talk. Uh, and we are doing the, um, the rest of the month. And so what it is, is it's a 30-minute session, a 15-minute sit, and a 15-minute talk. Uh, it's, it'll be on the IMS website. It's um, um, uh, what, what was I going to say? Oh, it's at 12 noon if you're on the East Coast, and it's at 9 o'clock if you're on the West Coast. And so it's just a 30-minute sit online together. Uh, 30 minutes, we're going to go through one of Joseph's books, uh, one of his first books, um, and uh, use that as the teaching. And then it's an opportunity to sit and keep this momentum going every day for the month of January. All right? So if that's something you're interested in, you can just go to the IMS website, and you'll see it there. So we're shifting into the last few little things that we do when we're closing, traditional ritual part. And um, this next part is really to help us remember the humanity of teachers and all of us, that we are all very much human beings, even though we are practitioners. And even though we have some of a strong practice and some of us new in the practice, there's still a humanness to all of us. And it comes from this idea of forgiveness and the asking for and giving of forgiveness. So I want to give you an example, what I think is the realness of what this is pointing to. It's ceremonial and it is ritual, but at the same time, it is pointing to something that's real. I think last night when I was giving my uh, answers, and there, and there was something that kept sticking with me all night. And I feel like when I have something that feels like a tension, it means that there's a possibility of harm, and I'm used to it. And so it was when I was making light of or kind of joking about not really telling people the truth about what's going on, right? It's a lie. That's Sila that we're talking about. And on one hand, I really want to support you in not feeling like you have to tell everybody everything. But on the other hand, it can be harmful to play with the idea of a lie and there are good lies, bad lies. And so there's a humanness about what I'm saying, but if 
in the course of my saying that, it creates a tension in you and harm in you, then I want to ask for forgiveness for that. So what we are about to do ceremonially is to acknowledge that through our words or some action or something we did could have caused harm like that. It could have been something that we knew. It could have been something that we did unknowingly. But if in any way, anything that we as teachers did, said, thought, uh, caused any harm to you, then for that, we want to ask for uh, your forgiveness. So we're just going to bow. And there, there is also the possibility that you think, oh, when I did that, it was probably harmful to one of us. Or I said something, or you thought something, like, is this going to go on much longer? That any of that, you can feel the twinge in you, and you might think that you have caused us some harm in some way, knowingly or unknowingly, and it could have been some thought, some word, some deed. So if you think that uh, you are, you have caused some harm, then we want you to know that we are extending our forgiveness to you. And we'll do that in about. And then there's one more because we have been together, close to each other, interacting with each other, we want to let what happens here stay here and not carry it on into the future. So you may have thought um, that somebody caused you harm on this retreat, either knowingly or unknowingly, through their words or their uh, actions or their thoughts. Uh, or you may think that you have caused someone else on this retreat, not just the teachers, anyone, staff, another yogi, anybody. And uh, you want to both uh, ask for forgiveness and extend forgiveness to each other. And so we want to take a, t- a moment for all of us to recognize that we're all human and we could have caused harm, knowingly or unknowingly, in our thoughts, our words, or deeds. And this next bow is to allow us all to both ask for forgiveness for the other and to extend forgiveness to the extent we're able. All right? Thank you so much. It's a really healthy way to part ways, yeah. So we're parting ways so that another group of yogis can come and just do what you've been doing here. And we can support their practice by cleaning up the temple, restoring the hall. 
So what we'll do is we'll put our Zabutans, these square mats, and Zafus away. It's raining out, so normally we would go outside and um, beat out the square Zabutans, but it's wet outside and we don't have our shoes on. So feel free to use the um, pillars that are underneath the um, overhang to bang and beat out these uh, Zabutans, or you can just do it by hand. And then we're just going to stack them. Where do we stack them again? Oh, they want it color-coded now. Okay, so we'll, um, you can start like a pile for these kind of beige ones and these um, pink ones, and there's the dark pink and the lighter pink. So we'll have three piles, and you'll have two... Or yellow. Oh, yeah, the yellow. So four piles, I guess. Um, and I see there's some by the door over there. You can put some by the on either side of these doors as well. And then we'll just find another place for the fourth pile. Put your um, Zafus in the cubby. And then the chairs, we want to actually um, put those against the wall, but not um, flush against the wall. So you want some space, like five inches or so. And then we'll stack them too high, so two chairs. And then once we're done, we'll come here in a circle for our, our last moment together. Yeah. Thank you. And, and we want to do this in noble silence. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.